is Gunnar Esaias, and then you are listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esaias Foundation and GunnarEsaias.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, DCU, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esaias and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and are not necessarily those of the Boomer Esaias Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. Welcome back to Breathe In. I'm Tiffany, and I'm here with Leah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. So instead of Gunner being here, we have his other half, Darcy. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Oh, we're so excited to have yes. you. You know, we like you, and it's more fun than having Gunner around. So. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm excited to be back. <laughs> yeah. So back for your second so- podcast. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about mental health and Darcy recently started a guest blog on Gunner's blog and she did one on mental health and she does this every two weeks so why don't you tell us about yourself and your blog and sure. um so I'm Gunner's girlfriend and I also happen to be a psychotherapist um so the mental health realm is is kind of my thing so Gunner and I had been talking a few months ago and thought that it might be a good idea for for me to write a column on his blog to be able to talk about some of the the mental health topics that aren't really discussed about as well as kind of the girlfriend perspective and Gunner has um let me be a tag along to some of the conferences that he's gone to recently where he's given talks and I've met with a lot of CF families and um, mental health has been kind of a theme at all of these conferences. Yeah. So I've been able to talk with families. I talk with Gunnar, talking with doctors, care teams, other social workers yeah. um, to kind of see the, the state of mental health in the CF community. And it's been really interesting and not quite what I expected. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. I it's remember definitely I never, a newer topic too, you know. Well, I, in clinic, this recently has come up, is that they give you a questionnaire about your mental health now. Yeah, and for a while ago, I didn't get those. I didn't get talked about mental health or anything. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting. And I read your blog on about PTSD, and I just was thinking, oh, I have PTSD sometimes when I go to clinic and some of these things. So... It's really relatable, and we can all kind of, we know it happens sometimes. Oh, yeah, definitely. So let's back up for a second. So psychotherapist, for our yeah. viewers that don't know what that is, oh, yeah. explain it. Sure. So basically, I have a degree in social work, but what I do is clinical social work. Um, So that means a lot of social workers do kind of care management. Some work in social justice. Some are advocates. Some work in schools. Some work in in hospitals. And there are others like me who kind of more focus on the therapy piece to it using evidence-based treatments. Myself, um, I mostly use cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm certified in TFCBT, which is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral Uh therapy. Okay. Um, Population I work with is mostly kids kids and teens who have experienced trauma. I specialize more in child welfare trauma, so it's mm-hmm. a lot of abuse and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is um, I was at a at a training a couple years ago, and it was it was a trauma training. And one thing we were learning all about these statistics, and I don't know the exact statistic. I haven't been able to find it since. But our trainer at this training said something along the lines of. 
Um, there are new studies showing that a chronic illness has the same neurological effects as one acute trauma um, on, on an adolescent or on an adult. And that mm-hmm. really, that stuck with me. And it makes a lot of sense. Oh, it totally um, does. But so, yeah, so I think a lot of what I do, even though I work more in child welfare-related trauma, it does relate in some ways to the medical trauma. So I, that's why I chose to write about um, PTSD, mm-hmm. because yeah. that's, that's one of my areas of, of expertise. No, definitely. Um, did you learn about this before dating Gunner, or did this kind of come up, like, as you guys yeah. were dating, you learned, oh, chronic illness could be linked with PTSD? You yeah. know well, what I mean? Just being my nosy self, just at the beginning when we were dating, I assumed that, you know, it would it would likely be a thing. And I asked him really early on, so what kind of mental health treatment have you had? And he was like, none. And I said, okay, well, when you were a kid, what kind of screenings did they do? Did anyone ever ask you how you were even feeling or about your worries and things like that? And he's like, no. You would just like, no. But they did it. Not for me. They didn't for me either. I mean, yeah. I feel like in peds. I was in peds for as long as I could be until they transitioned me to adult. You know what I mean? I know some people transition (laughs) earlier, but I did not. Um, So I remember towards the end, once I was in college, mental health started to come up. And they would come in the room and they would ask me my concerns and my parents would have to leave. But I kind of felt like it started way too late in the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then when I transitioned to adult, it really wasn't brought up. You know, so we took a couple steps back and then... As I was in the adult clinic for a year or two, then we started doing the surveys and we had a social worker yeah. and we had people that were addressing it, but mm-hmm. it definitely has taken a while to kind of get where it needs to be, you know, and I don't think it's totally there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's for sure. Um, thinking about one of the comments on the blog post, there were a couple of parents who wrote things about their kids being diagnosed with PTSD as young as three years old. Oh my so gosh. So if we think about getting late in the game... Being yeah. asked when you're 20, 21, 22, yeah. it's pretty late in the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy just to think about a three-year-old being diagnosed. And then we had never gotten that treatment or anything, Right. just even diagnosed with anything or... Or even asked. I even asked no. about it. And that's probably why I freak out while I do PFTs. (laughs) Maybe if we would have addressed it when I was like five, we'd be different. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So you said that you've been to a lot of the conferences with him and, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. What surprised you about mental health and how it's treated in CF versus what you thought it was? Like, what did you think it would be? I would have assumed that it was just on the table, that it was just a standard part of treatment. And it sounds like these days it really is, you know, yeah, the, the I think it's getting and the and the questionnaires, it sounds like they're a routine part of care. Mm-hmm. But I thought it would be, you know, if you have a progressive, scary, terminal illness, that you would have met with a psychologist <laughs> or a social worker at some point in your life. You would your think. Father, or, your, or that your family would. Well, right. Or that your parents would have for, for their own kind of fears and worries. But it's right. just so, <laughs> or it used to be so not talked about. And, I, you know, I, I, you know, part of me understands that, yes, when, when it's a serious illness, you know, the mental health might be seem to be at the bottom of the totem pole when the respiratory care and all that comes mm-hmm. first. But Gunnar likes to say now that the trifecta of care is the respiratory medical care, the nutrition, and mental health, and that they're all yeah. kind of equals. Right. I kind of think that they are. I mean, Tiff and mm-hmm. I have talked about it before that, you know, when she went through transplant, I mean, her mental health was probably <laughs> the biggest aspect in that. You know what yeah. I mean? Because there's only so much you can do treatment-wise and IV wise and mm-hmm. in the hospital and it really comes down to keeping yourself 
positive and in a good mental state so when that transplant does come you're able to overcome that because it's not an easy thing to go through not and I found myself getting anxiety six months before that oh yeah I didn't have it before I had no anxiety before that but six months before (coughs) transplant it hit me and I think it was when I needed so much oxygen and I needed it 24-7 so when I would have to change my clothes or something and take it off I would freak out because I thought I wasn't going to be able to breathe or I would be sitting on the couch and I would have to check that I was breathing and it was really scary because I I felt like I was not breathing a lot of, of the time. Of course, that's yeah. terrifying. So it's it's a real thing in the CF world that we're so we're getting so sick, or you know, just these reoccurring things that we have to go do, like mm-hmm. the pick wine. Like Gunner hates pick wine, like getting it in. Mm-hmm. And, no, I do too. You know, and like <laughs> like no one likes it. But, you know, you get scared because of things that have happened. So when I was really little, pick lines were very traumatic. Um, I remember the first one I got put in, it was like no big deal. You know, they're coming at me with this huge tube and, you know, whatever they used to put it in. Yeah, exactly. I never experienced it. I was totally fine with it. Like, they put it in. It was no big deal. At that point, you don't have a whole lot of scarring, you know what I mean, Uh compared to where you're at later in life. So... It went really smoothly, and then the second and the third one I got in, it was totally fine. I handled it well. I mean, it hurt. It wasn't enjoyable, but, like, it was fine. Um, They put Emla cream on it? Yeah, they usually would do Emla cream, and then they would, like, give you a shot that numbed it more. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's how they do it for most people. Yeah. Um, So they did that, but then once I got to the fourth one, my body just subconsciously knew what was happening. So (laughs) they'd stick me, and they'd go to thread the IV in, and my veins would just clamp down. Ah. So that would hurt really bad, and then I would start freaking out because it's not going in. And they're right. just trying to shove it up there, you know what I mean? And <laughs> it's just a hot mess, and then you have this little kid crying. Yeah, yeah, it was terrifying, you know? And then they'd, they'd pull it out, and they'd be like, okay, let's try it another spot. So they'd try another oh. spot, and the same thing would happen. And then we kind of got in this habit of my veins would do that every time. It didn't matter yeah. who did it. It didn't matter where we went. Like, every single time, my veins would freak out. So then I would start having to get put to sleep solely to relax myself so that they could thread these (laughs) IVs in, which is so stupid. Like, you have to be put under to get a quick line put in, you know? So they did that for a long time, but now I'm to the point, like, I mean, I have a port now. It's not an issue, whatever, but I cannot be stuck, like, in the spots where they used to do them. Right. You know, like, if I go for a blood draw, I'm like, can you please go in my hand, like, just Mm -hmm. avoid this area altogether, you know, because it just hurts too bad. And I think it's because I associate it with being yeah. stuck in that right. spot with those picks yeah. that was just traumatizing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And if you think about your body reacting in a way before your mind even can, or, or having your veins clamped down, even if you're feeling calm in your head, right. if you think about what anxiety really is and where it comes from, it's a, it's a misfiring of the, the fight or flight or freeze response. Right. So if, okay. if you were to imagine if you were walking in the woods right now and all of a sudden you saw a giant bear, you're on a hike, you're with Paul, you're, you're with Jeff <laughs> and you see a giant bear. You guys are going to have one of three responses. You're going to have the fight response, the flight response, or the freeze response. And they're helpful. So if you have the fight response, what happens? You have the adrenaline. You have the norepinephrine flowing. (coughs) You have teeth. You're feeling angry because you're going to have to fight off a freaking bear. Yeah. I think I would not succeed. Yeah. (laughs) 
Potentially not. Well, Maybe Paul would, but I wouldn't. <laughs> well, so the Navy, you're the flight response, where you have those hormones still flowing, but you're feeling anxious, you're kind of restless, because you're going to have to run faster than you have ever run in your entire yeah. life. Yeah, that would be either. And then you have the freeze response. So you freeze like a deer in headlights, your breathing becomes shallow, your body right. depresses the whole system because you're going to have to play dead and not move an entire muscle. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you think about the reason we have this as humans, if you were a cave person and a bear or some sort of predator came out of the woodworks, you yeah. were going to have to do one of those things. Right. These days, in, in modern society, we don't run into those kind of life or death stressors on the everyday, like yeah. being a bear. Yet for some reason, I did recently. I'm just saying. Oh, my God, you did? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Side note, okay? Then we'll go back to the serious topic. Paul and I were driving, and we were driving, like, down this, like, old country road, you know, type of situation. And we both look at each other, and we're driving past this, like, large black animal, you know? But we couldn't really get a good look at it. And we Uh both go, was that a bear? So I I obviously turned the car around so we can go back and look. It was. Curious. Oh I'm so glad you were in those. the car. Yeah, that is good thing so I was in the scary. car. If I wasn't, I probably would have done one of those things. Yeah. At least you oh were not and had, like, food. Right. It was going through someone's trash. Weird. <laughs> All right. Anyways. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. I survived. Okay. Yeah, so... But yeah, so so we've evolved, and for whatever reason, we have kept this same level of the fight or flight or freeze response, okay. even though we don't have those stressors. But for someone like a CF patient, you kind of do. You do have a lot. You know, it makes sense that your body thinks that a syringe or a needle or a tube going into your body yeah. is a life or death situation, yeah. or the thought of you're going to have one organ taken out of your body to be replaced with a new one. Yeah. You might consciously know, like logically, this is the right thing to do. It's safe. It's for the best. But your body's like hell no yeah want to do this kind of thing what are you gonna do the the other example i really like to give of your body reacting before your brain is if you think about public speaking a lot of people have a big fear of public speaking which is interesting because there's no danger whatsoever in public speaking personally i i don't mind public speaking but whenever i do it i get really really sweaty i I think most people do i think it's a butterflies Yes. Or I, feel like I have to go to the bathroom. You have something that goes on. Because if you were, yeah. think about it, if you were a cave person yeah. and you were alone by yourself standing in front of a whole crowd of people, that probably meant they were going to kill you. Oh, so that's have, probably. So even though we're so much further into the future, most of us still go up in front of a crowd of people and our body's like, oh crap, are we about to die right now? No, yeah. you're giving a speech, you're, you're sharing information because you have something worthwhile to share. It's not a life or death situation, but right. for whatever reason, our, our bodies have not quite caught up yet yeah. with our brains and, and yeah. how we perceive the world to be. Yeah. But so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you have these kind of reactions in your body and in your brains, and sometimes they're connected, sometimes they're not. Yeah, it's crazy what the mind can do to your body. To be mm-hmm. like, and just vice versa. So like, it's crazy yeah. what your body can do without even your yeah. mind being there. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, me well, with my veins freaking out, you know, I'm like, I'm calm about the situation. Like, yeah. even as, like, a 10-year-old, I'm thinking in my head, I'm totally calm about this. Like, I'm fine yeah. with them sticking me. But my body's just like, uh-uh. Right, girl, no. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> like, nope, this isn't happening. Yeah. I was going to say something. But then going the other way in terms of... You know, you're okay, like, yeah. body-wise, your body's not freaking out. You know, you might be getting sicker, and you get to that point where, okay, you need new lungs. Mm-hmm. But then it comes down to your mentality is everything, which I think is mm-hmm. what you were going to start talking about. Yeah. But. Yeah, and, and, and of course, then there's, there's ways that you can work on it. So if we think about 
you know, see if you're accumulating a whole a whole lifespan of these legitimate life or death kind of situations or ones that at least that your body right. perceives to be life or death situation. It gets to the point where these kind of experiences become the boss of you. So you're not driving past the hospital because you're going to have a reaction. You're avoiding getting pick lines. For some patients, they're avoiding their treatments. They don't even want to hear the word transplant. And these are things that can negatively impact your life you know there's yeah. a lot of avoidance involved so what, what right. the point of treatment is to try to do obviously you can't take away the stresses you're not taking away the fact that you're going to have to get pick lines or or mm-hmm. a transplant or or do your treatments every single day but you can <clears throat> switch the dynamic rather than the the cf or the bad thing whatever it is that someone with ptsd has is driving the car you kind of yeah. switch you get back in the driver's seat and you you become the boss again and because right. the goal is we want you to be able to still function in whatever way you want to if you want to drive past the hospital Mm -hmm. because it's the quicker way to get to Mm chick-fil-a that's that's a lot more functional right so that's that's the goal of treatment is to become the boss again and to be able to go into the and to get a pick line and feel okay about it so So how does treatment get you there so there's different kinds yeah. yeah. So a lot of people just assume that that treatment is, is just talk therapy. And I'm actually, Gunnar and I were talking yesterday, I'm going to write a blog about what this looks mm-hmm. like, too. Because I think a lot of people think therapy is talk therapy, or they've tried it, and it didn't work, or they had a therapist that they didn't really connect with. But what okay. it really is, especially in trauma, is kind of the neurological rewiring of the brain. So okay. your architecture gets a little a little different over time as, as you change and, and you have the trauma. So for example, you might have... Um, like a CF example, you might have, like we use Gunnar as example, and the example that I used in um, in the blog, Gunnar gets really kind of tough anxiety. I've noticed in him when he's um, concerned that he might have an allergic reaction to something, yeah. whether it's a new medication I or, too. or something I, like well, that. Yeah. yeah. And the anxiety makes sense, and I think it, it helps in a lot of ways. I don't think yeah. his doctors or his care team would want to take that away because it's yeah. helpful, but... I want him to be able to feel a little better and to feel more in control of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone like Gunnar, he might have the anxiety that just lives at the surface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be whatever kind of treatment modality, and there's different ways. There's there's TFCBT, what I do. There's something called EMDR, which is eye movement desensita- desensitization and reintegration. Okay. And that one's really popular in PTSD. It's new. And the idea is you do the talk therapy, but mm-hmm. while you're doing it, you hold two, like, uh, two buzzers. And while you're just doing the talk therapy, the left will buzz and then the right will buzz. Mm-hmm. Or for some people, they, they do it with headphones in and the left will beep and the right will beep. Uh-huh. And as you're doing the therapy, your brain, by flashing right, left, right, left, yeah. it's reconstructing neurological synapses across your brain. Oh, my gosh. What? Yeah, to be able that's to crazy. talk about it without having the same bodily response so that's one that's really kind of popular amongst veterans okay so and there's there's dbt there's kind of mindfulness which you probably heard of which is a lot of principles in yoga personally i do not like yoga mm-hmm. but right. some of the techniques in yoga really do kind of change the structure of your brain and how you can feel in the moment and how your body can feel in the moment right so it's not so much as just you know here's my problems let's talk about it and here's a more like positive thought that i can use to get through it right it really is it's there's neurological bases for for most evidence-based treatments yeah Yeah, i think a lot of times when people think about mental illness especially in a chronic disease like cf 
they think, okay, I kind of have two treatment options. I can go to therapy or I can get put on some type of medication. Mm -hmm. A lot of times both kind of go hand in hand because you kind of need both. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, I don't think people realize that there's way more options than just that. Because yeah. I don't necessarily think that's always going to well, solve the problem, depending on what you exactly. have going on. You know, a lot of the medications, well, not all of them, but some of them are respiratory suppressants, and you can't get on them because mm-hmm. of the fibrosis. Yeah, it's true. Like, like me, I couldn't get on them pre-transplant due to yeah, that. You had a low enough lung function. I, and I, yeah, and I was just sick, and we knew my lungs were going to come soon, so right. I couldn't do that. But for someone that may have a higher lung function, I don't know, but, um, but I remember that, and I felt like I needed something, I needed help some way, because that was not the way I could live. No, Uh not at all. I think, I think what's also hard is one thing I heard a lot talking to, um, different parents and patients is that they have tried therapy, and they have tried treatment, but that the practitioner was not familiar with how to practice in the chronic illness realm, Mm -hmm. which is really important, because I think, you know, even myself, when I'm writing a blog about PTSD or anxiety mm-hmm. disorders or depression or things like that, I'm doing it in the, the mindset of the DSM-5, which is the, the criteria for how you would diagnose someone. Right. But like we were talking about with the example for Gunner. So anxiety, when it's when it's an anxiety disorder, is when it's really <coughs> Im- impeding on your functioning. Mm-hmm. Or in some ways, it could sometimes be described as even you have kind of irrational anxiety. So your response is not appropriate to the stimulus. Personally, to be really anxious about taking a new drug and having a horrible reaction that could do something really bad makes sense yeah. to me. Oh, oh 100%. I get the same exact yeah. way. Even yeah. if I do IVs that I've already been on before, exactly. I get anxiety because it's yeah. like, okay, oh. I might react this time, which has happened to me in the past. You know, you Thanks. use a drug for X amount of years and then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, you're allergic or have some right. type yeah. of sensitivity to this mm-hmm. medication that you never had before. Or you've been on them and you're in the hospital and you just think you're having a reaction. And yeah. it's just your anxiety going over because you're like sick and you don't want to be there and you're scared. <laughs> and then the nurse has to tell you, look at your vitals, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. breathe. If only it were that easy. It sounds really scary. So yeah, if you if you have a therapist who tries to use just really kind of basic cognition change tactics, that's not going to work for something like no. that. No, so no. I, I think there needs to be in the mental health world mm-hmm. a way to train or educate clinicians just on, on CF or on chronic illness or progressive illness or things like that because it is a little different, which I also feel about PTSD. So if we think about PTSD, it's usually past-focused things. So you have a veteran who was in the war or you have someone who was in a horrible car crash. For those people, the threat is generally gone. It's something in their past. So right. for CF-related PTSD... A lot of times it's things in the future, Mm -hmm. things that are happening now or things that are happening in the future. You have traumatic experiences ahead of you. So I I use the word PTSD, but I do think within a few years there will be either a whole other diagnosis or just Mm -hmm. a different subset of PTSD and anxiety to to apply to chronic illness because it's different. It's not the same, you know, we like to fit you all in little boxes that work with diagnostic criteria, but I don't think a lot of it applies to to yeah. illness. So I think medical illness and and mental health will have a whole new look in a few years. Yeah, so it's like right. a diagnosis, right? PTSD. Yeah. 
this might be a really dumb question, but I just don't have knowledge on this. There are no dumb questions. Are, I don't know how to word this because I want it to come out right, but like, is there, are there specific diagnoses within mental illness that are directed towards chronic disease or do those really no. not exist? They yeah. just don't exist. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you diagnose someone with being like bipolar and then it's like secondary yeah. to whatever. Yeah. Is that the there only are, way you can really only, do it? To my knowledge, the only way that medical stuff is included in, in the DSM diagnostically is in a lot of diagnoses, there are disclaimers at the very end that say, yeah. This person only meets criteria for this disorder if it is not related to something medical. That doesn't really apply to chronic illness and anxiety. That would be more like, oh, this person might have, you know, a bipolar disorder because they had a traumatic brain injury that affected them. Okay. So it doesn't generally apply to. Well, that wasn't a good example that you know, I gave, but you know what I mean. No, yeah, yeah no, I know, I know exactly what you mean, and the answer is no. There's no diagnosis. See, that blows my mind that we're not even there yet. You know what I mean? Because I would think at yeah, least. No. For like depression or anxiety, like these are two huge topics, you know what I mean? Like these are two huge illnesses that are out there that people with, you know, chronic diseases do have. And I think it's just not talked about enough and people just kind of avoid it because they don't want another thing to be diagnosed with, you know? No, I know what mm -hmm. you mean. It's kind of like having CF and being told, oh, you have CFRD now, so now you have yeah, diabetes on top of CF. Say, actually, I was going right. to suck at getting my uh, yearly glucose tolerance done because yeah. I just, who wants another problem? Who wants another problem? <laughs> I know someone else who may or may not be putting that off. <laughs> Ugh, me and him both. <laughs> it's okay. It's I mainly the fact of I just don't feel like drinking the thing and getting up at the crack of dawn, but, you know. No, I agree. And having to stay there for a few yeah. hours. I, I get it. Yeah. And it's not the most wonderful drink. Exactly. That's for sure. And yeah, I already have, like, you know, the things, diabetes, but, so yeah. she sees it with me, and she's like, I don't want that. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> it's just another thing to do, and then just getting, you know, it's just a lot to handle in a one person. People yeah, it is a lot. how mm -hmm. mentally taxing it is to have a chronic illness and go through what we have gone through. And then plus transplant. Like you said, um, I was like, getting back in the driver's seat kind of thing. Yeah. I, when I got told I needed a double lung transplant, I didn't want anything to do with it. I was very Neither. skeptical. I I resisted it. And I didn't want right. to do any of the evaluation. I was like, no, no, I don't need that, you know. Right. I wasn't getting it in my head because I was trying to avoid it. And then at one point, I was like, you know what? I got to do it because I'm going to do it for myself. And not for anybody else. But I got in, I got my mental state, got into a good place and said, okay, I'm ready. You know, you have to be ready for things like that. No, definitely. You know, and sometimes it sounds like you felt empowered. Hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then some people need a little bit of help to get to that, to get to that mm -hmm. place too. Mm -hmm. I think that's totally cool. natural. You know what so I mean? Because like when they told me, oh, you should go to transplant clinic, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. I didn't think I'd ever need this. You know, body's freaking out, mind's freaking out. Yeah. I thought for a little bit, like, maybe I do need to go to therapy. Maybe I need to talk to someone yeah. that understands chronic illness and just everything I'm going through because, you know, I didn't have anyone in my life. Like, I didn't have Tiff at that point to really yeah. talk to. And I remember when I started looking into it, I had a really hard time finding a therapist or just some resource that specialized yeah. in that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And let's say you do find someone that does specialize in it. Well, they might not accept your insurance or 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Or they may be 45 minutes away. Exactly. Which you can't do every week. Yeah. When I was going through a transplant, I had the um, therapist come in and they would talk to me, which was very helpful because I was at my highest anxiety going, you know, I think it was a lot of the medication, um, but plus, you know, just being in there for so long, you get, you know, you need help. And it was nice that they had that because I could talk to them and get, you know, and then they offered it for after as well, which was very nice uh, to have. And um, then, you know, with the insurance thing, after three months of that, I couldn't go to um, that their other things because my insurance doesn't take that. So it right. is kind of, it's, it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would love to see is a grant to fund something like mm-hmm. 25 social workers, 25 clinical social workers or psychologists who have special training in CS specifically, not even just chronic illness, just the ins and outs. They know what treatments mean, so you don't have to explain everything every single time. And Mm -hmm. for them to be able to be stationed in one place and do therapy perhaps over Skype. Because even if you think about like us three, we all live in in cities, but there are people and it's and it's still hard to find people who know stuff. Oh, it is. So for people, you know, in in different parts of the country, it might be even a lost cause. They might, you know, read a blog and say, oh, maybe I need therapy. But there's literally no one here to make it accessible would be key. And not just at your clinic either. I think it needs to be something that you could do in in your home. You know, you can technology has that power. It does. And I think a lot of times what doctors and different clinicians like they don't always realize that a patient is more than just a patient so yeah there are a lot of doctors whose bedside manner they view that patient as a patient they don't really ask about your personal life or you know mm-hmm. think about oh you you're a nurse or you're a yeah. you know whatever like that you have a job and you have a family and you have a lot of things going on that you're trying to balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Granted, I think a lot of CF doctors are really good about balancing all these things because yeah. most of us have great relationships with our doctors, but there are some doctors that are like that or different people in the healthcare profession that they look as that patient as a patient, you know? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that being able to get therapy or, you know, just like mental health guidance at home is a great resource because if you're a person with CF, you're waking up early to do your treatments, you're going yeah. to work, you're doing your treatments late at night, when do you have time yeah. to really go drive somewhere that's probably out of your way, mm-hmm. you know, to and get that kind of help and treatment? Mm-hmm. So it's if you had the resource as like a Skype resource, I mean, then you can do it when it's convenient for you. Of course, the person who you're going to be doing the therapy with has to be available as well, but it gives some type of flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think you should definitely start that, Darcy. I think you got something there. You do. I'll tell you better to look into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I I would love that because I think it would help so many people. Not even just in the CF community, but the chronic illness community. And and yeah. some treatment modalities are just supposed to be brief, six to yeah. ten sessions, things like that. Yeah. Some kind of treatments are, are skills-based. So for people who you know feel like they have people in some areas but need skills to just use in the moment. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very different. It's not all one and the same. It's not sitting and chatting with someone about your right. problem. Yeah. Um, so I think just more knowledge and education on what treatment mental health treatment would look like too and to have options so you can Skype this person and you could do it for six weeks and that's it or yeah. you can keep this person open-ended and whatever works for you is what works and should be available to you yeah and that's I, how treatment should be you know when you look at other 
aspects of a chronic disease like CF and just all the different treatment options there are, you have more than one treatment option. You know, if you look yeah. at like um, doing the vest, you have the vest, you yeah. have manual chest PT, you have the acapella, you have mm -hmm. that aerobica that a lot of people use. You know, there's different options depending on the person and what works best for them. So I think when people think of mental health, they need to think of that in the same sense that treatment is going to look different for each person. It's just mm -hmm. depending on what that person needs. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. So I think we're running out of time. Um, well, we need to end see. on a positive note here. Yeah. <coughs> I can end on a positive. Yeah, I think advice or I think yeah. one thing that's so positive that I'm seeing in mental health yeah. is um, that in our generations and above is there's mm -hmm. so much stigma. Mm -hmm. And I work yes. with kids and teens. It's yeah. almost like there's no stigma. Uh, my kids that I work with tell all their friends they go to therapy. Their friends come and ask to have therapy. They're like, oh, my God, I need therapy, too. Can I come into your office? And I'm like, right. oh, here's my client. I can't see you. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we're going to see a, a a big change. I think the curve mm -hmm. with the stigma and the treatment's kind of like this, and I think it's going to go up like that. I think we're going to see a lot change in the next five years with, with yeah. stigma and accessibility and technology and mm -hmm questionnaires and surveys and individualized care and CF specific care. So I'm really excited about the future of mental health care with, with CF. Well, oh, I completely too. agree. I'm, it's great to see that people are okay with saying that I'm going to therapy because it's totally fine. Everybody. It's the same know, as everybody. like going to a doctor's appointment and people say that out loud. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm -hmm. I've never totally understood the stigma because I don't know. I view it as just an aspect of, your health care. You know what Good. I mean? Um, yeah. But I do think that the stigma is there and it is getting better with time. So yeah, totally. as more time goes on, people will get more comfortable with it, I think. You know? I, I hope so. I hope so, too, because we need to get there with it. You know, it shouldn't yeah. be something that has a negative yeah. stigma attached. Definitely not. No. So, yeah. Well, this was a great yes. topic to talk about because everybody is very interested in it. We get a lot of questions about it. So. Thank yeah. you, Darcy. For Thanks coming. for having me on, guys. We love you, and hopefully we'll have you love on. Love you guys, again. too. Lee, I'll see you next week. <laughs> I know. I'm hopefully. so excited. Yeah. I'm oh, going to figure Justin. it out. <laughs> okay. Since right. I'm not going to Hawaii anymore. Oh, oh yeah. You, you can just come to You can FaceTime in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just got, you, re, use those flight vouchers to come to Maryland. Yeah, oh, go. yeah. Where it's raining. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, Follow us on Breathe In on Instagram, which is at breathe underscore in underscore pod. Yes. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud, Breathe In. And if you want to watch us, go on gunnerassiason.com mm -hmm. or YouTube. And make sure when you go to iTunes that you subscribe, rate, five stars for Darcy, and review us because we love to read the reviews we do they're our favorite thing and they let us know if we're doing a good job or not slash yes. what you guys want to hear about so also yes. if you have any topics that we haven't covered that you're interested in hearing about feel free to send us an email tiff what's our email breathe underscore in underscore pod at asiason.org and if you guys want our lovely t-shirts or tanks <laughs> Because it's the end of summer, we got to get those guns out again, right? Yeah. <laughs> While we can. <laughs> Salty Sisters Etsy store and go get yourself one. Yeah. So we will see you on the new uh, on the next breathe in. 
um, podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for being with us, Darcy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye.